Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. The Volume. Charles Darwin. The Nerds is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brever and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are going to be breaking down all of the week 15 action that we just saw. Another interesting week in the National Football League. And we'll start with Sunday Night Football. A very good game on paper. And the Ravens just went there and kind of gave it to the Jags. Beat them pretty convincingly as they cement themselves atop the AFC standings. Logan, what did you take away from Baltimore being so impressive in this one? I think we have to beg the question, Carson. Are the Ravens the best team in the AFC? Are they the best in the conference? I mean, I know that was your Mm -hmm. stance coming into this game. You've been pretty staunch on the Ravens bandwagon for a while now. Uh And you see some of the stats on the broadcast, man. We've mentioned it throughout this year. It is my favorite, you know, fact about this Ravens team. And they all back it up on the broadcast. They've led in 90% of time in their games. Uh They've led, I believe, was it every two-minute warning in the fourth quarter they have had a lead? Like, the Ravens very well could be undefeated. And they mentioned some of the rare teams that they're in company with. The 2005 Colts the 2007 New England Patriots. I mean, when you're talking about being in that kind of company, that Mm -hmm. kind of rarefied air, you have to ask yourself, are we just sleeping on Baltimore a little bit? Are we behind the curve? Uh, What do you think? I mean, did this reinforce it to you, Carson? Do you firmly believe that they are uh, the AFC front runner? I think that they are the best team in the AFC. I don't think that there is a massive gap necessarily, especially in terms of ceiling. Because although I'm not quite as high on the Chiefs as you are at this point, because I think that those receiver issues are really concerning and have consistently limited them enough to where we can't just be like, that's all right, they'll figure it out come playoffs. There still is a world in which they figure it out enough to where Mahomes is so great, that defense is so great, that team is a really high ceiling. The Bills, to me, over the last four weeks have been arguably the second best team in football, but I would give Baltimore the nod. They have been the most consistently elite team in the AFC 
by far. And when I compare their formula to the Chiefs, who are still number two in the AFC for me, yes, they're both elite defenses, but Baltimore's is on another level, I would say. They now have the number one scoring defense in football again. They have the fewest yards per play allowed since the 2015 Broncos, a historically great defense. And we have seen them shut down the Lions, shut down the Seahawks. In this game, shut down the Jags. I mean, part of it was situational brilliance, but still, you hold them to such a low number. Like, they've done this against really good offenses. They are elite at every position group in the secondary, the linebacker court. They have been the most productive pass rush in football. That's an edge that they have over the Chiefs. It's top five sort of defense versus best defense in the league. And then offensively, they just have more ways to win. I think the Chiefs need Mahomes to be exceptional every single game. Whereas the Ravens, we see in this one, of course, Lamar is spectacular with his ability to extend plays, what he does on the ground, but you also just have a dominant effort from this offensive line and from this rushing attack as a whole, where they give you 250 yards on the ground, and then Lamar makes a few of those spectacular plays, right? That unbelievable one where he gives himself eight seconds scrambling around behind the line of scrimmage and then finds Isaiah Likely, who makes a great play, and by the way, he's come on in a big way. And I just think Lamar is consistently going to make you such a good offense when you just give him capable weapons like this they've been the better offense on the year than the Chiefs so I have the utmost respect in Patrick Mahomes but it's not like I'm going to diminish Lamar Jackson who to me is a top three quarterback in football is a top three one-man offense in football when he has the better weapons even if they're not elite and he has the better defense 100%, dude. And I thought the Ravens were the best defense in football uh, about midway through this year. Mm -hmm. And you see it. Justin Matabuke, man. Patrick Queen, Kyle Hamilton. They're just – there's such an abundance of weapons. You got Jadavian Clowney, who's had a great resurgence yeah. here in Baltimore. Like, they're just freaking loaded, man. And the offensive line, even without Ronnie Stanley, I mean, he's – on and off the field here mm -hmm. in this one. They got Patrick McCarry, who has been, uh, for the past three to four years, their depth offensive lineman. He doesn't just fill in at left tackle. He, fill in, he fills in all over the offensive line. But it really is the difference with Lamar. Lamar has the second-highest winning percentage of any quarterback since entering the league not named Patrick Mahomes. And we finally have to start putting some respect on him. My dad doesn't want to do it, Carson. Mm -hmm. uh, peek behind Jimmy. the curtain. Jimmy. I'm back. It's I I'm back home. I know, man. I'm back home for... Uh, a little bit now uh, for the holidays. And my dad's just like, no, yeah, man, Lamar hasn't won a playoff game. He hasn't won a Super Bowl. He doesn't have any hardware. Same old criticisms. And I'm like, dad, I don't know how you can watch what he did tonight. Those yeah. two massive plays that you talk about, the play extension, the agility. Damn, man, Lamar's special. And mm -hmm. I, I just, I want to, I want to appreciate him because so many people disparage what Lamar does because he hasn't had any of this playoff success we talked about all the changes, why this is a different year. Yeah. The expectations are different this season. It's a new offensive coordinator. It's a new system. It's a brand new Lamar Jackson. It's new weapons. It's brand new everything. And this is the best version of the Baltimore Ravens that we have ever seen behind Lamar Jackson. Yeah. And those are teams that are winning double digits every single year. These are teams that are 70% in the win column when mm -hmm. Lamar Jackson plays against second behind Patrick Mahomes. And this is the best unit he's ever had. I'm not ready to do it, but they are concretely number two to me. And like you said, Carson, if if Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes keep trotting Kadarius Tony out here, yeah. maybe I do like the Baltimore Ravens a little more. I mean, damn, man. I, that boy can't get right. Uh, yeah. The Ravens are damn good, and I would not be surprised if they won the AFC at all this year. This is a hungry team. This is a very talented team. And Lamar seems 
like a very, very different quarterback, man. That's the biggest difference to me. We talked about it last week, but this is a different Lamar Jackson to me, man. Totally agree. And you can look at that 2019 team. I mean, they're one of the top regular season units of all time in terms of point differential, but Lamar was not at the level of polish and poise as a pure passer that he is now. That is absolutely the difference maker in terms of my faith in this team. And even with Mark Andrews out, dude, I still think the weapons are better. Likely is legit good. Flowers is legit good. OBJ is legit good. Rashad Bateman has a very solid game in this one. So I believe in this group offensively a lot more than those of the Ravens past, even if this hasn't been their most dynamic offensive unit week in, week out. Because again, I think they have more ways to win now than they have previously because of the level that Lamar has had. And this was a really interesting matchup just in terms of the perspective on where these two quarterbacks are at because coming into this year we ranked our top 10 guys and these two were neck and neck i had trevor lawrence one spot above lamar because he had taken that massive breakthrough step and i thought he'll only trend upwards this year bringing in a weapon like calvin ridley the natural progression that he'll have and lamar although i think at times he was overly criticized and people exaggerated some of his issues was coming off of a season in which, yeah, in some ways he showed progression as a passer, but he hadn't been his most efficient. There were some turnover issues. And one guy has just consistently week in, week out, been an MVP caliber guy, been a one-man offense. And Trevor, it's not that he's been bad, and I don't think that he has the best supporting cast, but there's been more issues. You see in this game, just a really costly turnover with that fumble that's on him, and he hasn't consistently led dynamic team offense like Lamar has so I just sort of looked back on where we had these guys in the preseason I was like boy I think Lamar is top three right now and Trevor I have been underwhelmed by because my expectations for him were so high coming off of last season I think it is important to contextualize though Carson that a, a big portion of the reason and I think I speak for you you tell me if I'm wrong here mm -hmm. A big portion of the reason that we were skeptical about putting Lamar higher on those lists was because he hadn't finished either of the last two seasons. We hadn't seen it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's hard to predict that these things are coming. That you know, I think this was the year that if you were going to pick Lamar to make real progress as a pocket passer, this would have been it with the changes that we laid out. But again, the previous two seasons, Lamar didn't play any games in December. He had missed mm -hmm. the final four weeks of both of the last two seasons. You know, when you talk up injury concerns, how frequently he ran the football compared to what he's doing this season. Yeah. It was hard to project, and that was a reason that we were lower on Lamar. But now that he is ticking that box as a pocket passer, and again, I, I don't ever understand why people were off of him as an arm talent, dude. You know what I mean? I, I always mm -hmm. thought it was stylistical style of play and buying in as a passer and maximizing your tools. And now that he's doing that, he doesn't have any holes. And this is yeah. not a debate to me. And like you mentioned, there's three guys and there's a gap between everybody else. And wow. I think there's an even bigger gap with uh, with Trevor Lawrence. I don't want to put it all on his shoulders, Carson, because I do think you mentioned, I think there are some changes that Jacksonville need to make. Uh, they were pretty glaring in this one. One, I think he has good weapons, not great weapons. I think T-Law would really benefit from having some twitchy after-the-catch kind of guys. ETN is great. Yeah. Uh, Evan Ingram is great in that respect, too, but like a wide out that he can go to. Ridley doesn't really have that in his bag. I know Christian Kirk is out, so he doesn't have him out there as well. I think he would benefit from one of those guys. I think he would benefit from having a a better offensive line. I mean, he seems like he's really under duress. I mean, and again, Baltimore is just a nightmare matchup for any team. Like, they're going to get pressure on anybody. 
The biggest glaring thing to me, Carson, is play calling, though. Situationally, I don't like what Jacksonville does. It's a lot of the time on first down, we're going to hand it off up the middle. We're going to throw a screen pass. And the idea behind uh, this play calling is smart. It's like what Chris Collins were said on the broadcast. We're going to alleviate some of the pressure off of Lawrence. You're not alleviating any of the pressure off of him if you're not gaining any yardage yeah. on first down with these plays. If you're setting up T-Law to, for a second and 12 or a second and nine every single time he gets the ball, you're not doing anything. Yeah. And so it's not Justin Herbert levels of bad incompetence around right. Trevor Lawrence, but I don't think this is as good of a situation as people make it out to be. The Jaguars are good, yeah. and they are a far sight. Uh, better than when they were uh, under Urban Meyer, right? I think Trayvon Walker's gotten better. I think the D-line has gotten better, but I still feel like they are three to five big difference makers away from being legitimate contenders. Yeah, it's like we've been saying. If Trevor Lawrence doesn't reach a superhero level, yeah. which yeah. he hasn't done consistently this year, what is this team great at? You mentioned the insistence on running the ball on early downs. They're top 10 in rushing attempts this year, but they're 31st in yards per attempt. So it's just not a real threat. It's not something that this team is good at. So the weapons around them are solid, but with Kirk out, I do think that they take a hit there. And then defensively, it's a solid group. This just isn't a team that scares me, as we talked about last week. So another good win for the Ravens against a good football team and they've got a tough schedule down the stretch here they've got to play the Niners they've got to play the Dolphins but they're absolutely capable of winning both those games the Niners are the only team in football right now who I would say flat out is better than Baltimore and hopefully Keaton Mitchell can come back we don't know what the situation is with his knee left this game with injury but he has been so explosive so dynamic averaging over eight yards per carry and wasn't really utilized much through those first six weeks, but since he has started getting more touches, has been one of the most productive and certainly one of the most efficient football players on this team. So you hope that they have him out there just to make this running game all the more dynamic. For sure. Keaton's really, really dynamic, and he's the big speedster, big play yeah. threat. Uh, his dad actually used to play for the Ravens, uh, I believe in the late 90s, early 2000s. He was a running back for them as well. Final thing on the Ravens, I just want to mention – uh, we talk about Lamar, his growth as a passer, and we all know how great he is at actually running the football. Mm -hmm. There's one more aspect that I want to hit on with Lamar as a QB that you bring up Keaton. So many plays when Keaton gets handed the ball out of pistol or out of single back, it's like Steph Curry taking a three-point shot or when the ball is in his hands. It's a really similar concept to when Lamar is handing the ball off. Like, you know, in college you have the option plays, yeah. right? Like. DNs, every play just have to pay so yeah. much attention to Lamar because if he tucks that ball away and then hits the sideline, you know, it just, if Lamar rolls out left side every time, there's going to be guys whose attention has to get diverted to him mm -hmm. every time they hand the ball off, which just opens up an entire side of the field for his running backs to eat. And I think that kind of gets lost with all of his physical abilities and his growth as a passer. His effect on the offense goes further than just when the ball is in his hands. Absolutely. Like, he might be the deadliest play-action guy uh, in the NFL in, in a, a long time. I think that can get lost in the shuffle. But Lamar is a, a damn near one-man offense. You know what I mean? That's a central part to me that's baked into just his superhuman value. It's the stress that you're putting on defenses. It's the attention that you demand at all times. And that's why you can see his numbers from the last couple of years. And he didn't have elite passing production or efficiency. But... 
The Ravens are scoring 28 points per game when he's out there, and they're scoring 17 points per game without him. It's the Lamar Jackson effect. Every single play, whether or not he is actually the focal point of that play, defenses have got to give him a lot of respect. And he, along with that elite defense, have made the Ravens one of the league's elite teams in a year where there's not that many truly great teams, and a lot of teams have up and downs. And that applies to both the Buffalo Bills and the Dallas Cowboys, who... I thought we're probably going to have the most interesting matchup coming into this week. The Cowboys coming off of a huge win over the Eagles. The Bills having put together some really nice football in the last few weeks. And Buffalo just dominated this one. What do you think about what we've seen from these Bills, Logan? Man, I'm, I'm not even surprised, dude. Damn, man, I almost want to pick the Bills to win the AFC, dude. I'm fired up yeah. on Buffalo. Like, yeah. Credit to Josh Allen. You mentioned something that's so amazing about this game. Uh, on uh, you tweeted it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out Carson. He's an excellent tweeter. Oh, thanks, Ed Carsoby on uh, on Twitter. Man, shout out. Uh, Josh didn't have a hundred passing yards in this game. Yeah. Uh, James Cook goes for damn near two hundred yards on the ground. I mean, finally, I think Josh said it in the presser afterwards. I think I read the quote. You know, I feel like the kid uh, who didn't do any work on the group project and still mm-hmm. got an A plus. Yeah. I, Wow, I've never seen a game like this from Buffalo. And I I don't want to say they exposed the Dallas Cowboys, but damn, dude, the one hole in this Dallas Cowboys defense the entire year and last year was the running game. In the Mm -hmm. first round of this draft, they draft Mozzie Smith, who I thought, home run pick. Mozzie's going to come in here. He's going to plug up some holes. He's a big body. No, I mean, Dallas has struggled. They have not gotten any better uh, defending the run and – Buffalo just rams it down their throat. Don't don't allow them to get back in this game. And Buffalo was just able to stay on the field and sustain drives. Uh, The first three times that Buffalo goes down the field and scores, uh, Dallas has three personal fouls on all of those drives that give uh, drive extensions to Buffalo. Dallas is, again, the most penalized team in the NFL still this year. And so it's, it's tough, man. I mean, you're beating yourself in these scenarios and you're letting the other bills beat you this is about as ugly as a loss as it can get man you didn't even get drubbed by josh allen you got beat by the other guys mm-hmm. by mark Wahlberg yeah. and will and ferrell, will ferrell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean i don't mean to rag on the cowboys but i was waiting for the bottom to drop out and this felt like the game right we had to, we were wrong carson i jumped the gun by one week right I thought they were going to build up. I thought we were getting crescendoing to the Philadelphia drubbing. We were actually crescendoing mm-hmm. to the Buffalo drubbing that Dallas got. Uh, Buffalo, to me, Carson, I put them in the wrong tier last week. If you guys want to check it out, we did our contender tiers uh, last Friday. A little bit dated now, a week behind. But I put Buffalo in the conference championship bubble. They should be in the Super Bowl contender mm-hmm. bubble, man. I put them in the wrong box. Even with all the injuries... They have such a high offensive ceiling game to game with these weapons. I think I kind of overlooked that, man. Like when we talk about, I said Miami could do it. I said Detroit could do it. What's the difference? Yeah. I'm, Buffalo to me has a better offense and offensive ceiling game to game than either of those volatile offensive attacks. So I think I got it wrong, Carson. I think I put Buffalo in the wrong tier. I'm not ready to count them out just yet and say that they can't get to the Super Bowl. I'm going to bump them into that Super Bowl contender tier, man. As you should. I think this is the most meaningful win of the year for the Bills because of what you said. There has not been a single game since Josh Allen reached his superstar peak back in 2020 
in which he has been able to so completely rely on his teammates balling out for a win. He hasn't had under 100 passing yards in a game since week six of his rookie season. The Bills had only rushed for 200 yards four times before this game in the Josh Allen era. And in a lot of those performances, he's a significant contributor. The 266 they had in this game is the most ever on a Josh Allen team. And I think you have to give a lot of props to Joe Brady for committing to the run game in this one and for attacking a weakness in Dallas's defense. That pass rush is amazing. But if you are going to run the ball down their throats, you can negate that advantage a bit. And that's what we've seen from the teams that have beaten the Cowboys this year, for the most part. And you mentioned that it wasn't a strength of theirs. Last year, they were below average in rushing yards allowed per attempt. But the teams that have beaten them mostly have done it by running on them like crazy. The Cardinals, 30 rushes for 222 yards, two touchdowns. The Niners, 41 rushes for 170 yards, two touchdowns. The Eagles weren't quite as efficient, but they ran the ball 33 times for 109 yards and two touchdowns. Still got some of those big situational runs to go in their favor. And overall, Joe Brady has done an awesome job of incorporating James Cook into this offense way more. In his last four games, that since Brady took over after Ken Dorsey was fired, which, by the way, I think only looks better by the day as a decision, Cook is averaging 140 yards per game from scrimmage with 5.2 yards per carry, three touchdowns, and it's like 88 rushing yards, 52 receiving yards. He is totally involved in both phases of the offense, as he should be. He is an incredibly talented running back, easily the best running back that the Bills have had since Shady McCoy himself. In his production in this game, we haven't seen a Buffalo Bill rush for this many yards since Fast Freddie Jackson back in 2010. He's just added a dimension this offense has desperately needed. Another reliable pass catcher besides Stephon Diggs, who the Bills had become so singularly dependent on. And now Dalton Kincaid has grown into that role as well. He didn't do anything in this game. He just dropped a couple passes. But those two as underneath targets. And then Cook's ability to make dudes miss in space. I think he's a very smart runner. He's got great vision. You saw even physicality's not his strength. But he had that one great run in the first quarter where along with the offensive linemen, they just keep pushing, keep pushing, get like five extra yards out of a run. That was so awesome to see. A performance where the Bills cannot just win, but blow out a really good football team. And Josh can just kind of sit back and enjoy the show. I can't remember the last time that that's happened. It's certainly nothing close to that this year. And on the other side of the ball, I've talked about how this Bills defense, once they lost several key players, Matt Milano, Daquan Jones, and Trey White, your expectations just had to come down a level. And the defense just hadn't been that good. But boy... I thought this was an outstanding defensive performance from them, not just down those three guys who I mentioned, but also down AJ Epinesa, who has been fantastic on the front this year, down Micah Hyde, who is still a reliably good safety. They dominated the Cowboys. They got tons of pressure with four. They were great in coverage. Shout out to Taylor Rapp, who stepped up as a safety. He had one dumb and unnecessary roughness penalty, but I thought he was quite good overall. And it was just a dominant all-around showing. So... As I said earlier, I think the Bills are a top two team in football since firing Ken Dorsey. They should be 4-0 with wins over the Eagles, the Chiefs, and the Cowboys. We talked about how unprecedented it is to lose a game like the one that they played against Philadelphia. That's not saying that I view them as a top two team necessarily when we're talking about playoff projection. And as I said earlier, I still think that Baltimore is the top dog in the conference. But 
They are playing great football right now. And this was the most completely dominant they have been as a football team all season by far. But I also think the Josh Allen MVP case is brewing here. And this isn't the game necessarily to go on about that because he didn't have to do too much. But as the Bills start to trend in the right direction, Logan, they're going to be 10-6 and six in two weeks. They're not losing to the Chargers with Easton Stick. They are not losing to these New England Patriots again. They already lost once. That was the only time that I could possibly stomach that happening. He's got 37 total touchdowns, six more than second place. He's got the third most total yards. And this team is now going to be in that 10-11 win range. They're going to be legitimately very good. And over the course of the entire season, there is no one football player more responsible for their team's success. So this was incredibly encouraging. I have started to buy into this Bills team much more over these last four weeks after such a discouraging stretch, and this was just the ter- the cherry on top. Yeah, and they put a ton of pressure on Dak, too, on the other side. I mean, that was the big thing from the defense yeah. is they just swarmed him uh, all game long. I want to ask you a couple things about Buffalo. Once, I mean, you talk about Baltimore. Is Baltimore the only meaningfully better team in the AFC to you than Buffalo? I still like Kansas City a little bit more because of how reliably elite that defense is. I would need to see this Bills defense play a few more impressive games because I still think against the Eagles, they totally cost them. There's been a bunch of big-time clutch situations where they just haven't been able to get a stop. Mm -hmm. If they're going to play like this, then that's a different story. Fair. And on the flip side of this, because I feel like I've jumped the gun and I've flip-flopped between this team because they're so confusing, is Dallas fake, man? Okay. Like, I mean, it's just, just like, because I, I think I got it wrong again. I think I got Buffalo and Dallas wrong. Uh-huh. I think these were the two teams that I would switch from our contender. Well, I, I got three teams wrong. Green Bay, mm-hmm. Dallas, and Buffalo. I don't think Green Bay should have been in my wild card winners tier. Mm-hmm. I think I jumped the gun on that. I think Tampa Bay should have been, though. Should have oh, Baker, chill. baby. Should have right, Baker. We'll get there when we get okay. there, pal. Other two teams, though, I think I should have flipped, and I think I should have flopped Dallas and Buffalo. I think Buffalo should have been in my Super Bowl contender tier. And I think Dallas should have been in my contender, uh, my, my conference championship tier. I just, I got excited, man. And Dallas did it to me again. I was like, you know what? I'm not buying into Dallas this year. Mm-hmm. And then I did it again, man. They got me. I I don't know, man. Do you think Dallas is fake? I know you've been, you know, on the train. No, I don't think they're fake. Here's my take on this whole thing. This is a year where there is one great football team. And I think the Ravens, you can look at and say they've been really consistently very good. They've lost a couple games that they shouldn't have, but it's not like they were blown out embarrassed. They dictated all those games. Outside of that, you're looking at a lot of teams with big flaws, with hideous losses. The Eagles are 30th in points allowed per drive. That defense has been awful. The Chiefs, we can say, well, in any one game, they haven't been embarrassed. But they came into this week having lost three of their last four. They had a really ugly game against the Broncos. They shouldn't have lost to the Packers. And at the end of the day, they're a five-loss team. Those are some real blemishes. The Bills came into this game seven and six with some humiliating losses to the Broncos, to the Jets, to the Pats. So uh, the Lions, right, their defense had been awful in recent weeks. The Dolphins have had the easiest strength of schedule and just had a really bad loss to the Titans. I think... People are very ready to jump on the Cowboys and say, ha ha, you guys actually suck. You being one of them, Logan. But they just had an incredibly impressive win against the Eagles. 
And by the way, it's not just that the Cowboys embarrass the Eagles. The Niners embarrass the Eagles in back-to-back weeks. So if the Cowboys are fake, then the Eagles have to be fake. The Cowboys, outside of that Cardinals game, have only lost to really good teams. The Niners, the Eagles, who they kind of outplayed in the game that they lost, and the Bills. Now they got embarrassed by the Bills and the Niners. And I think there are concerns with this defense that don't show up against a lot of the shitty teams that they have beat up on. I think that that is fair. The run defense, how do their DBs hold up against really elite passing attacks? I think that they're good, but I don't know if they're as smothering as playing the Patriots or the Giants would suggest, but I still think they're good. I still think that Dak has been playing awesome football, and he had just an overall bad showing in this one. Like He was just kind of all over the place. He put the ball in harm's way a few times, could have had more than one pick and probably tanked his MVP case that had been brewing real strong over the last eight weeks. But that pass rush is still elite. CD is still elite. They still run the ball relatively well. No, they're not the Niners, but I'm just hesitant to go around calling people frauds this year when it's kind of a mid-off. Like there's a (laughs) lot of teams who aren't going to blow you out of the water every single week. The Cowboys are a team with a really high ceiling to check a lot of the boxes for really good football teams. So I'm not out on them, but I'm also not totally confident that they're going to play great football every single week. I mean, totally confident is an understatement. I'm very underwhelmed. It's just, it's concerning, man. I mean, but okay. But what about the Eagles who just got manhandled in back-to-back weeks? Yeah. And what about the Chiefs whose receivers cost them every other game? The concerning thing with the Eagles and Cowboys, it's, Anytime they've played a good team, they've crumbled. No, no, no. That's not true. The Eagles have some of the best wins in football. Well, the two toughest games that are scheduled when they're playing teams who are in their stride, they got dull. But they also beat the Chiefs. They beat the Bills. No, no. The Eagles have Dolphins. The Eagles have good wins. I mean, I think you're right. I just don't think there's there is a top dog, and then there's yeah everybody else. That's what I'm saying. That's really all I'm saying. I'm not. But the Cowboys are also fake, man. Okay, but then everybody's fake. Do you think the Eagles are fake? Are the Eagles fake? Are they frauds? A little bit. Okay, as much as the Cowboys? Yeah. So there are two teams in football that aren't frauds, or would you say the Chiefs and Bills are playing well enough? I don't think that I don't think the Chiefs are I don't think the Chiefs, Ravens, or Niners are fakes. Okay. Or the the Bills uh sometimes yeah i mean the word fraud is definitely weird for the chiefs because i think that they're better than their record because they've had a couple of really weird losses but I, they're not a perfect football team they have a real red flag that's are you still sticking reality of the year you're still sticking ravens niners that's your pick right now yeah i think i'm still sticking chiefs niners okay all right yeah any other takeaways from this game uh nothing crazy i mean I, yeah i just think I think the Bills have a really high freaking ceiling, man. And yeah. if they can if they can get hot, man, any any year with Josh Allen at the helm, dude, there's a chance. Yeah, seeing them look like a really good football team was awesome. And this is after that defense played pretty well against the Chiefs. Shut down the Jets. That doesn't mean much. Everybody shuts down the Jets. They literally got shut out today. But it's definitely a team that is trending in the right direction that uh, has the upside to beat certainly anybody in a flawed AFC. And Logan, as I started talking about a couple weeks ago, I said the Bills are playing well. The Dolphins have a brutal schedule down the stretch. Buffalo has a real path to win this division. And now it might not even be on the tiebreaker. Like, I wouldn't be surprised 
if they go 11 and 6 and the Dolphins go 10 and 7. The Dolphins' last three games are the Ravens, Cowboys, and Bills. They're underdogs in all of those to me. So it's a very encouraging turnaround. And obviously, there is more football to be played. And this team has lost their fair share of mind blowing games up to this point. So you can't literally just check off teams as automatic wins. But it definitely feels like they have it together way, way more. In the NBA, the game can change in an instant, but no matter how the action unfolds, you know DraftKings Sportsbook has your back. This week, new customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting 5 bucks on basketball. Win or lose, you get an instant dub. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code NERDS. New customers can get 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on basketball only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code NERDS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problems with gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and Deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Okay, you mentioned, Logan, that you felt like you got something a little bit wrong in your contender tiers and that you had the Packers there and your wild card winners and you didn't have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And lo and behold, those two teams played today and your Tampa Bay Buccaneers, led by your favorite player in the NFL, Baker Mayfield, came out and they won. And they are now 7-7. Seven and seven competing in their own mid-off in the NFC South. How big was this for Baker and the Bucks, and what did this show you? I will be accepting uh, apologies whenever people would like to line up mm. uh, and form a line. Uh, anytime, okay. I'm willing. Look, the Buccaneers are mid. They are not real contenders. Maybe they win a wild card game. Maybe. But they're going to have to play the Cowboys. I don't know, man. I just you and a lot of other people considered the Bucks to maybe be like the worst team in football coming into this year. I mean, that was a part of the take. I and I don't know. I think Baker's proven me right to an extent. Baker has not been perfect. He's had some bad games. He has been reckless with the football. The game he won last week, as I mentioned, I seriously wondered if his arm was hampered by how bad he looked throughout the entirety of the game. Like it's not been. I don't think Baker's checked all the boxes this year, and this isn't the most convincing victory because it's against uh, Joe Barry-led defense, and I was torching Devondre Campbell all game long. It seemed like every catch that any receiver made over the middle was him getting cooked, but Baker has proven something with this offense that I expected coming into this year. Uh, they got a new offensive coordinator, Dave Canales from Seattle, came over, overhauled this system. I expected massive improvement because Byron Lefwich was the offensive coordinator the year previous. And this wasn't a full faith in Baker making this offense elite. I mean, again, you're going from the greatest quarterback of all time to Baker Mayfield. But I thought that with the weapons surrounding here, with a slight improvement in the offensive lines play with Tristan Wirfs back, that... With Rashad White, who's one of the best yards after the catch and receiving backs in the game. With Mike Evans, one of the most consistent wide receivers in football. With Chris Godwin, a damn good number two. I thought that these guys could help take Baker up a notch. And I think they have this year. Like, this is not Baker making this offense singularly great. He's using what he's got around him, and he's making the most of it. But Baker Mayfield brings a fire and a confidence 
and uh, he cares, man. He gives a fuck. It means something to Baker. It's not, I don't know, and I'm, I hate to dog on the guy. No, I don't hate to dog on the guy. I love to dog on the guy. I hate him. Mitch Trubisky, mm. does he want to play football? Okay. Does he care about the outcome of the game? I mm, don't yes. know, man. I don't think Mitch – I think this was Mitch Trubisky's worst fear coming to life, that he had to play football. I think he's scared to take snaps. Baker Mayfield wants to be out there. He wants to win games. He wants to dictate it, and he's got a fire and a belief in himself that he can get it done. And I don't know, man. He was so damn confident in this game. He was deadly accurate, too. He was on time. Like, I think this is a – I don't think Baker is the singular driving force behind the offense, and I don't think Baker is the singular reason that the Buccaneers are great. This is not the take. I think this is a great, I think this is a good offense with a good offensive coordinator, with a competent quarterback who can do just enough to get it done, with really good weapons around him. And then on the other side, you got a defense that was really banged up last year and has been so much better when healthy. Like, yeah, man, I, I just think that, I think that people like to hate on Baker, and I don't really know why. And it's not that Baker is some consistently great quarterback, right? Baker's below average. Baker's probably somewhere between average and below average. But there is a volatility game-to-game with Baker that if he is on, that if he is confident, that he's, that he's feeling himself with weapons, you can explode like this. You can't explode when you're let out by Mitch Trubisky. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, there's just a, there's a volatility that comes with Baker that I buy into when he's having mm. good games, and he's never going to quit on the team. He's never going to quit on himself. He's never going to put his head down. Baker's headstrong, and I really like that. He's headstrong, he's a leader, and he's tough, and I really like those qualities in my quarterback. Yeah. Listen, you're right. I picked the Bucks to win four games, and I looked at this team and thought Brady was able to claw them to eight, but that defense had regressed a bit and lost some key guys, and as much as I like Rashad White, having watched him and covered him at ASU and thought he was really dangerous in space, I was like, as a down-to-down between-the-tackles guy, he's probably not built to carry a rushing attack behind a very suspicious offensive line. And so I thought this is just a team that's pretty underwhelming across the board, but I absolutely think that I undersold, first of all, how great Rashad could be in the other aspects of the game. I think that he has been awesome as a receiving back, truly elite in space how good the one-two punch of mike evans and chris godwin still is i mean those guys are both awesome i think that this defense hasn't been great necessarily so maybe i wasn't super far off there it's more about the it's but it's been a very solid defense it's more though been about the offense reaching a level of solid football that i didn't really think that they could i'm getting the baker logan i'm not just gonna ignore baker entirely i'm just saying there's been components around him as well that I think I understood, but there's no doubt that seeing the level of quarterback play throughout the NFL this year has made me appreciate Baker more because Logan, I'm just going to read you off a list of dudes who we had as starters this week. And of course, injuries play a factor in this, but Zach Wilson, Bailey Zappi, Aiden O'Connell, Easton Stick, Mitch Trubisky, Case Keenum, Tommy DeVito, Nick Mullins, Desmond Ritter, Joe Flacco from the dead, Jake Browning was actually hooping, but if you told me, you know, before the year that Jake Browning was going to be starting, I would have said, yikes. Sam Howell, who I think got totally overrated by just raw passing numbers. That guy's a turnover machine. He holds onto the ball way too long. I don't think Sam Howell's good at all. Bryce Young, a poor guy, but geez, he is brutal to watch right now. So 
There's a lot of dudes who really, really, really suck. Those last few names who I mentioned, all of those guys have some redeeming qualities, right? But I still think Baker's better than them. So yeah, sort of by default. I mean, staying out there, staying upright, and not being a, a total fool. Baker's a very solid starting quarterback. He has played better. I mean, I can't sit here and say that like week in, week out, I've been like, yeah, Baker was really solid. A lot of the times I think that he still uh, can be careless with the football. I think that he misses throws. But today he was legitimately awesome. He was throwing dots. He made big plays. There's no question he cares. And he's got enough natural ability compared to a lot of these other dudes who are just flat out disasters that he certainly stands above them. So props to Bakers, props to this Bucks team. Like, you know, they don't scare me. They're not legitimately good, but you don't have to be legitimately good to win the NFC South. And that's what you said. And I thought even amongst that lowly group, they were going to be towards the bottom. And I don't think that that's the case. So I apologize, Baker. You're doing well, buddy. Would you still rather have Derek Carr than Baker Mayfield? I think I would rather have Derek Carr than Baker Mayfield. Wow, really? I mean, dude, it is. How many mid-offs are we going to have today? Well, actually, man? I say that. Like, I say that. You know, dude, I actually think in my QB rankings, I think Baker and Derek are like next to each other. But you know what? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> this was by far, by far the best game that Baker mm -hmm. has played all year. But yeah, they're both to me right in that same exact range of very average. And at this point in the season, you're yeah, relatively dude. glad just to have a dude like that who's still upright, but you know that you can only go so far with them at the helm. And then that leads to frustration. Like I think Carr, you get to that place much quicker because they invested in him as the guy in the off season. And there was hope that he would actually be a ceiling raiser and he's just not. Whereas Baker, it's more like, wow, we found a diamond in the rough here. This is a guy who we sort of picked up off the scrap heap, played for two different teams last year. It felt like nobody wanted him, and he's doing enough to get us in the playoff conversation. But I saw Colin today say that Baker's worth paying. I don't know about that. I don't know. What do you think? Like, is he their guy for the next few years? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I think he's... I think he's bought himself. We can't ever look too far in advance with quarterback play because, I mean, it really does take, I mean, one bad season of Baker next year and he could be gone. I think mm -hmm. Baker has bought himself a one-year extension. Yeah, I'm good with that. I'm good with the one-year extension. If they want to remain a competitive football team, he's an option that is very solid. And, yeah, he's below average in terms of a lot of the passing efficiency stats this year, but – He's solid, and he is firmly above the tier of, wow, those guys just suck, and there's mm -hmm. a lot of those guys this year. There really are. Okay, this was a unique week, Logan, because we've now got to the point where there were three Saturday games. So give me a takeaway from one of the games that we saw before today's action. Yeah, uh, I think obviously I'm going to go with my team uh, seeing them play it. I'm going to stick with the Steelers game. Carson, I've never seen the Pittsburgh Steelers defeated like that after a loss. And what I mean by that is, I mean, this is a team that has had their spirit and their soul absolutely crushed. Mm -hmm. I've never seen body language like that after a loss. The only ones that I can think of are Marquise Pouncey and Big Ben having an emotional cry after a playoff loss, knowing that that's Keese's last game. I mean, he's a franchise hero. 
And that's it. You know, that's the only loss that I can really remember where we looked broken. This is a broken football team, and there should be no expectations the rest of the season. Uh, we already know that the offense has been miserable for a long time, right? It's been years of this where the offense mm-hmm. has been absolutely miserable. And it's frustrating because it's like I mentioned with Baker Mayfield. The Pittsburgh Steelers don't have to consistently be a great offense. What I need to see from Pittsburgh is one week where we can pop off and explode for 30 points. That's what's really demoralizing about the Steelers is it's like week to week, there's no change. There's no difference. There's no hope or expectation that next week, maybe we could put up 30. Maybe we could put up a lot of points. It is consistent shit. It is a shit offensive product. And there's no room for growth or room for, you know, sporadic play. Uh, And there's just no higher ceiling game to game. And here's an example that I will give you. I mentioned Mitch Trubisky. I think the perfect example is the guy that we played in Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew is going to make plays. He is improvisational. He has a fire underneath him with Baker. Like, I honestly think Baker and Gardner Minshew really mirror each other in a lot of ways in terms of they're not swag, swag, dog. It's, yeah, and and with that swag comes an innate leadership quality and innate fire with these guys where I think an NFL locker room can buy into them. So what am I saying here? I'm saying when you put a bum like Mitch Trubisky at quarterback, there's no, duh, your team's going to quit on you. This is a team that has been utterly defeated because they don't have a leader. Their leader right now, Mike Tomlin, is feeding us the same tired quotes that we have heard for a decade plus. And their guy at the helm is Mitch Trubisky, who looks scared. He looks like your little brother. You gave your little brother a helmet and told him to go play. Well, You're going under center. A dog, but all right. Well, Ben Breber would light him up for 12 TDs. Yeah. Yeah, Ben's yeah. lighting him up. I'm putting him out there before Mitch, man. We got number, got an arm. We got number got 97. Arm. What's he doing yeah. right now? Mm. What I'm saying is I've never seen the Steelers locker room in this kind of disarray. And Carson, I think I was wrong. I've been talking about Mike Tomlin, and I wanted these players to put themselves second. The team should come first. I was off of Najee. I was off of George. I was mad at them for airing their grievances to the media. Carson, I think they're trying to tell us something. I think these guys from two prolific college programs, Georgia and Alabama, what I think they're trying to tell us is that no one in the Pittsburgh Steelers organization knows what they are doing on offense. The reason they are frustrated is because the Pittsburgh Steelers are clueless offensively. You want another comp? Uh, You talked about Colin bringing up that maybe he thinks Baker's a franchise quarterback. He made an elite point a week ago when he was talking about Jake Browning's explosion with the Cincinnati Bengals. The Pittsburgh Steelers for 20 years have had the luxury of a Hall of Fame quarterback that they have not needed to prepare every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Ben was that special as an arm talent and that special as a reader of the field. The game to game, he could prepare himself and you never needed to worry about him. It was a constant. Without Joe Burrow, the Bengals have won games with Jake Browning because they have a a coach, an offensive mm-hmm. mind that can take a guy who is not there talent-wise and can prepare him for an individual game. There is nobody in our in our building that can get Mitch Trubisky ready to play a football game. There is nobody yeah. that can get Mason Rudolph ready to play a football game. And those are the differences. Kenny Pickett may not be that much more 
talented than Mitch Trubisky. Kenny Pickett can get himself ready to play a football game by himself because he knows coverages, he knows teams, he watches tape, and he works hard. There's nobody that understands offense or that can get a quarterback ready. Carson, there are zero creative and smart offensive minds in Pittsburgh, and that is a massive, massive red flag. And... Mike Tomlin's stubbornness is is really frustrating in all of this. And I'm sorry, because I'm going to go for a minute. I'm just really frustrated with this Pittsburgh Steelers team right now. Let it all out, man. Mike Tomlin's stubbornness is frustrating in the point that we talk about all these different quarterbacks too, man. Carson, we could have had Baker Mayfield. Carson, we could have had Carson Wentz. We could have had Joe freaking Flacco. We could have had Gardner Minshew. The Cleveland Browns, after watching... Three, what, two, three games of DTR and P.J. Walker? Kevin Stefanski mm-hmm. said, we can't win games with these guys. We got to go do something. Mike Tomlin watched two games of Mitch Trubisky and said, you know what, I think we're going to trot him out there a third one. I've been no Mitch. I've been new Mitch Trubisky was a bum. Mm-hmm. Can I eval- evaluate quarterback talent better than the Pittsburgh Steelers? God, I hope not, because we are going down a real bad path. Like, the Browns had the wherewithal and the awareness to go, we can't win games. We're not going to make a playoff push with these guys. We need to go get Joe Flacco. And Joe wasn't perfect today, but he can read a defense, he can make good decisions, and he can make throws. Mitch Trubisky can't. And it really frightens me that Mike Tomlin can't connect those dots, that Mitch Trubisky can't read the field, and he can't make the throws, and he can't make the plays. Neither Mitch or Mason, and we have yet to go out and find an offensive mind that knows what he's doing or to find a serviceable quarterback that can help us through this tough time without Kenny Pickett. So I'm just – I think it's over, Carson. I think the Steelers are done this season. The Steelers are dead. The body language that I saw from that game was not a team that wanted to fight. It was a team that wanted to crawl in a hole and hide and – I don't know, man, if this, if, because I'm not in the locker room, so this is just pure speculation. But I think a lot of the players have lost faith in Mike Tomlin. And I think they are seeing through his tired old shtick. And it worked when you had a Hall of Fame quarterback that could make up for all of the offensive shortcomings from the coaching staff. But they are too big for us to overcome right now. And I think Mike Tomlin has officially lost the locker room and these players have lost faith in him. Because I would never, I would never lose faith in Coach T, man. I love Coach T. But if you don't have the locker room, you don't have anybody. And I just, I wonder if Ben's right, man. Ben said on his podcast that the Steelers culture is dead. And I wonder if, if we need a change, man. I wonder if it's time for a rebuild or to press the button, man. I I don't know. This has been a really tough three-week stretch, and the Steelers team looks utterly defeated. Yeah, that feels harsh of Ben to say because this team was still somehow 7-4 and four despite not being good yeah. at all. And that wasn't just pure luck, right? They beat a couple good teams along the way. It was with super timely defensive plays. It was with being clutch and excelling in the same categories that the Steelers always have under Mike Tomlin and really in their organization's history. So I don't want to just go ahead and say that that's over because they've had three really bad weeks. And by the way, I do think that this season is over in terms of them making the playoffs because I was sitting there looking at them and saying, boy, they aren't good. They've been outgained in 10 straight games, but we have seen Tomlin-led teams find this formula where they may be inept offensively, but they do enough defensively and they had such a favorable schedule. 
the Cardinals and the Patriots, two of the five worst teams in football, and they lose both those games. This, you still think, is winnable, and they go up 13-0, and they let up 30 unanswered. Now it's over. Now you have the Bengals, the Seahawks, the Ravens. There's just no chance, and you can't do anything serious with an inept offense when you're scoring under 16 points per game. And, you know, even though their defense is good, it's not one of the best that they've had. They are still so bad in terms of point differential that the only teams that they're above are the Jets, the Patriots, the Cardinals, the Panthers, the Commanders, and the Giants. And by the way, two of those teams have beaten them in the last three weeks. So this was never a good football team. It was just a question of if they could pull off enough of that Mike Tomlin magic because they weren't a good football team last year. They were 20-something in terms of point differential, and they won nine games. They weren't a good team the year before that. They had a negative 3.2 point differential, and they won nine games. Like, same goes for the Duck Hodges year and the Mason Rudolph year. They find a way as the number 27 scoring offense to get to eight wins. And that magic has just run out to some extent where you're like, man, you are losing games to truly awful football teams. Because really, I mean, that's what the Steelers are. They're bad, and they've just had enough of those huge plays and they've had enough of that culture and that defensive identity. But what do you think happens with Tomlin then? If he has lost the locker room, if this team clearly has such a low offensive ceiling, and I know that you were really excited about Matt Canada being fired and they had the one good offensive game against the Bengals, but it doesn't seem like things have meaningfully improved there. And you haven't liked any of the last three offensive coordinators. So now you're talking about just hiring the wrong people and can Tomlin identify the dudes who he wants to lead his offense like do you think there needs to be change made yeah i do and two things and i'll say my piece one in this game we see the steelers black voodoo magic i thought when we went up 13 nothing off of a blocked punt and mm -hmm. uh qb sneak where mitch actually fumbles on that fourth down uh on this on the second push he gets in initially yeah. so they give him the td Two goal line TDs. I thought, wow, man, a blocked punt. We may just steal this game against Indianapolis, and then they score 27 unanswered. Uh, it was really uncharacteristic of Mike Carson. I know he is a conservative coach. He is not a really aggressive a guy, and, and that has bled into me and my philosophy as a fan. I'm always a take-the-points guy. Time dwindling down with a massive uh, uh, deficit in this game. We opt to punt instead of kicking a 57-yard field goal or going for it. I mean, in that situation, I thought the Steelers played scared football. Yeah. The Colts get the ball back, and then they they run nine over nine minutes off the clock, and they score a TD, and that effectively ends the football game. There does need to be a change made. And I, like I said, Carson, I just think, I think it worked for a while. I think the Steelers had built that culture. I think it's really hard to do with that old guard in the locker room. And what I think Ben meant by that with the Steelers culture is I think there is a lack of leadership on this team with uh, David DeCastro retiring, with Marquise Pouncey retiring. We have three leaders on this team. That's TJ Watt, that's Minka Fitzpatrick, and Cam Hayward. And what they have consistently said throughout this year is that they are frustrated with everybody else in the locker room taking for granted the Steelers culture. Uh, they are saying that people are not working hard enough week to week, game to game, to get results. And there just isn't enough fight in the locker room. And to me, Carson, that starts at the top. If we don't have a leader, what are you doing, Mike? And I didn't like his energy and his answers in the press conference. It was the same old deflective BS that we've seen from Mike. And when we're winning, it's good. 
mm-hmm. we do not care. You know, you can, you can listen to a bunch of Tomlin quotes. To me, Carson, I do. I think there needs to be a change, and I don't know if it's coming. Because with the Pittsburgh Steelers organization, that come that has to come from Art Rooney II. Uh, Art Rooney II is the only guy that can make that call, that can let Mike Tomlin go. It was enough for Art to make the decision on Matt Canada. If the Steelers miss the playoffs, I think he's going to have a question at the end of the season if it's time. I hope. I hope and I pray that Mike Tomlin at the end of the season says, I'm tired. I ain't got nothing left in me. I'm retiring. I am walking away. Because that's the only solution to me, Carson. Mm-hmm. The Steelers are in need of hitting the rebuild button, and it's okay. It's yeah. okay. It's just time, man. Because if Mike Tomlin trots back out here for the next two seasons, my dad made a great point uh, at the house after the game, and it is the same sentiment that a lot of Steelers fans had that I have been hesitant to come to. If Mike had done this after Ben retired, if him and Ben went out side by side, we would have a new regime in, and it would be okay. We wouldn't have this expectation of winning under Mike Tomlin or these playoff expectations. We would say we're a rebuilding team, and at mm-hmm. the end of the year, we're going to have a high draft pick. At the end of this year, we're going to be picking in the 20s again. You know what I mean? It's just this team is not talented enough to contend. We are too far away to get there in one offseason. And Mike Tomlin is a good enough coach to drag us to mediocrity. Mm-hmm. We need a we need a, a offensive mind in here to to restart. The Steelers need to restart, Carson. That is my that's my takeaway from this football season is the Steelers need to hit the reset button. Yeah, I think that that's probably the correct take even though I have been so impressed mm-hmm. in recent years with what Tomlin has been able to do with such atrocious offensive talent and I have been a defender of his because of that. You reach a point where there just isn't value in scraping out yeah. eight or nine wins when you are never a threat to do anything in the postseason. And I think you're right. You have to do a hard pivot at this point. And if you look at the trend around the league, almost all of the best teams are led by offensive-minded guys. Sean McDermott would be the one exception, but it feels like oftentimes the Bills get there in spite of him and they have a singular standout talent like Josh Allen who can just do so much for an offense. But it's Nick Sirianni, it's Mike McCarthy, it's Kyle Shanahan, it's Dan Campbell, it's Andy Reid, it's Mike McDaniel. Jim Harbaugh has a special teams background, but he is a guy who's bought into the analytics and aggression offensively. Like, it's just up and down you see these teams that are going with offensive minded coaches are the ones who are thriving and the teams led by defensive guys are few and far between at the top of the standings dude just really quick look what shane steichen did to us shane steichen brand new offensive mind out of philadelphia torched us yeah no it's a very very clear trend and everything that we're talking about here very much mirrors something going on with not just one of the league's great coaches the greatest coach in football history, that being Bill Belichick, who got handed yet another loss today. And there were rumors throughout last week that maybe Robert Kraft had already made the decision to move on from Bill at the end of this year. It now looks like that is still up in the air, TBD. But you just gave your take on Tomlin, Logan. How do you feel about Belichick in sort of a similar situation, but an even uglier version because the Pats just flat out suck? I think it's time for New England and him to part ways. It's like it's it's really similar to what I was saying about Tomlin. It's a uh, we need a refresher. 
You know, we need we need fresh. We need new. We need something else. It's just gotten stale in New England. And what has been abundantly clear about Bill in New England is that he also has no idea what he is doing offensively. Mike Tomlin, defensive back at William & Mary. You know, great defensive mind. You trust him on that end. Bill Belichick, one of the greatest defensive minds of all time, built arguably the greatest defensive dynasty in football history outside of, I'd say, the Steel Curtain, the 70s Steelers. Uh, There's probably some other groups that you can point to in NFL history, but that's one of the greatest of all time. Consistently, a top-five defense for 20 years. That's absurd, but I don't think Bill's done. Carson, I think he should leave New England. Just think about it, man. Great coaches. Some of them have walked away after short tenures. Bill Walsh Mm -hmm. got his rings, got out, right? Tom Flores, John Madden got their rings, got out. Bill Parcells stuck around, and he went to a couple other teams and helped build their cultures up, helped build Dallas up in the mid-2000s. People forget about that. I think Bill Belichick can still really be helpful to an NFL franchise, and I think that franchise should be the Los Angeles Chargers, man. I think it is Mm. a... I think it's a, a, a fit like a glove. There's other destinations. I laid out every uh, team that I think is going to have a, a open position in the offseason. The Raiders, the Chargers, the Saints, maybe. Panthers, Falcons, maybe. Bears, Washington, New England, and Pittsburgh, I think, are all potential openings. I think the most ideal are either Vegas because – and I don't say ideal. I think Vegas is a potential because I think Mark Davis is an idiot – and I think Mark Davis may overpay once again for mm-hmm. a big-name coach. Think about it. He tried to build Patriots West with Josh McDaniels, with all of those Patriots players, with Tom Brady owning part of the team, with Jimmy G. I mean, damn. He literally just tried to take New England. Mm-hmm. So I think there's two outcomes for Bill, and I think it's either Davis throws him a bag and he tries to build Western Patriots just with Belichick, or he goes to Los Angeles, and that is my favorite landing spot because – you let Kellen Moore take all the offense. He figures out the offensive personnel, the players, the schemes. You let him and Herbert do their work. And then Bill can just completely come in and retool and build that defense up and hopefully establish a new culture in Los Angeles. Who knows? Maybe the Chargers' no. culture is just so strong, it will permeate Bill, and we'll just see Bill lose a bunch of one-possession football games over his tenure there. But if there's one guy that I think can help establish a culture to a team that has none – Maybe it's Bill Belichick. I like him uh, to the Chargers. Interesting. I'm just going to start with the prospect of him leaving New England, be that on his own terms or if he's forced out of there by Kraft. I've said throughout the year that I think that relationship needs to be over, and it was hard for me to picture them just flat out saying, Bill, you got to go, given everything that he has done for them. Seems crazy that he could have – a relatively short leash just in the sense that they've been very competitive up until this year since Brady left. And yeah, maybe they would want to go in another direction, but this is the first year they've been legitimately bad. But for Bill's sake, it's like, what is to be gained with this roster? You're not doing anything to add to your legacy without Brady. There's no hope here. The offense is completely broken and Bill bears responsibility in that. This isn't just the head coach. This is a guy who has been given GM responsibilities, who has had major authority in constructing this roster and in terms of who he puts the offense in the hands of when you're talking about coaching. And he has just swung and missed over and over again. They have the lowest scoring offense since the 2012 Chiefs this year, Logan. Mm -hmm. 
Like, this is archaic Ooh, football. Man, is that Tyler Palco? Who is that? You know, man, I'll pull that up for you real quick. I know that you know all the guys who are in that conversation. The 2012 Chiefs, who scored 13.2 points per game under Romeo Cornell. This was actually a Matt Castle and Brady Quinn tag team job. They threw for eight touchdowns against 20 picks that year, under 3,000 yards passing. So that's the sort of rare company that they are in. They don't have a 450-yard receiver right now, and they just played their 14th football game. And it's the Bailey Zappi show right now because McCorkle was so awful that you can't keep trotting him out there. And if you think about their splashy offensive additions in the offseason have been Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, Juju, Devontae Parker. Like, none of those dudes are actual high-impact offensive football players. So... You just can't entrust Bill, in my opinion, with that sort of all-around responsibility with an organization at this stage because of the ineptitude that we've seen offensively. I still think he can do great things defensively, and I think if this Patriots defense hadn't been so decimated losing Christian Gonzalez and Matthew Judon that maybe they still could have put out a good defense this year. But I don't know, man. I don't think that you can have a Bill Belichick-run show like you have in the past. And I think if he wants to go and build this legacy without Brady at 71 years old, by the way, fine. I don't know if there's a ton of value in that. I might just retire. But if he is going to do that, then he's got to go do it somewhere else. Both parties just have to move on here because, I mean, the Patriots need a hard reset. They need to bring in a young offensive mind. As we talked about, that is the trend. And they need to overhaul their offensive personnel as well. When it comes to your Chargers pitch, it's interesting, but my concern there is that I still think they need to figure out how to optimize Justin Herbert's abilities. And I think that part of that is going to be putting better offensive personnel around him. Obviously, Staley and Telesco were both fired. LA cleaned house, and we'll talk about that too, but they just haven't put good offensive skill talent around Herbert. So I guess if you keep more in there as play caller and if you draft better there, Bill won't have to do a ton offensively. But I don't know, man. I wonder if his time has just kind of passed. And I mean, that's okay too. I mean, like you said, if Bill wants... He's 71. If Bill wants to walk off into the sunset, I mean, it's time. I mean, there's nobody more accomplished. He's the greatest coach of all time. And I think intelligent football fans will realize, you know, how important he was, you know, stupid football. Oh, Brady made him, Brady made him. Yeah. Football's deeper than that. I mean. Yeah, Brady didn't turn out a top 10 defense every single year for 20 seasons. It's it's just kind of, I don't know, it's kind of hard to imagine Bill not being around. I it, You're right, though. It is abundantly clear they need to part ways, and I think it's going to happen, Carson. I think yeah, that. Yeah, I think so, too. I've heard just a lot of rumblings, and a uh, friend of the show, Peyton T. Gallagher, one of his favorite quotes, when there's smoke, there's fire, and I think mm. New England's going up in flames. I think it's Gerard Mayo's job uh, next season. Do you want to see Bill stick around, or are you ready for no. him to hang it up? No, I think it has to be over in New England. Chargers, that's interesting, because there's no team that needs a cultural overhaul more Wow. I just think they also really need to figure out the offensive side of the ball, and you can't trust Bill to do that anymore. I just found out, too. I mean, you are right about his age. Uh, I just looked it up. He would be basically 
He, I mean, he already is now because he's still coaching. Yeah. Basically the fourth or fifth oldest coach ever. The oldest ever interim head coach, Romeo Cornell, uh, mm-hmm. at 73. Um, and then George Hallis was 72. So, I mean, it probably is unlikely that he goes somewhere else, but I don't know. I The only spot I can see really Bill intrigued by is a spot with a franchise QB already. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's certainly the thing that they have struggled to figure out in New England. But Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. we got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, are like, you know, who's really good? Creighton, you don't watch Creighton. They play, and I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shannon the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not never the, not, gonna, the, not the Big East tournament. They're, well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team. That, like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Creighton. Is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. That like that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a is a good team. Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> and then they're never at any of the Yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys and they lose out to, like, you know, Lil Dirk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Dirk was better. Why are you, t- why are you telling me? The the whole time. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, it's Ray from the Bobby Bone Show here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Let's go! Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the hills to the trails all over. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander, with three spacious rows of seating, up to eight passengers, yeah. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer, check out amazing national sales event deals on RAV4s, Highlanders, and more. Visit buyatoyota.com. That's buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Let's talk about this Chargers mess then, Logan, because we didn't get to break down them (laughs) getting 63-pieced, letting up 63 to the Raiders, getting beaten by 42, truly just one of the more unbelievable performances of the year. That's what happens without Justin Herbert, and as I said, that finally, finally prompted them to clean house. Bye-bye, Brandon Staley. Bye-bye, Tom Telesco. The most obvious moves of the NFL season that took way too long to happen. But I will say it was pretty awesome that we got to see them go out doing it. Big oh like yeah. 
Like, I could not have imagined a more picture-perfect way after all the losses in which I've advocated. Get rid of Brandon Staley. He obviously sucks. Why do you still have Brandon Staley? He's a very bad football coach. A performance like this where our sweet little Herbert didn't have to be subjected to any of it himself, I mean, that was pretty perfect, man. <laughs> you couldn't have drawn it up better. I mean, no. sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction, man. You couldn't... You couldn't write some of this stuff. And that's what we said leading up to this, man. I was waiting for it. Brandon Staley, you know that one meme where it's like, you know, you're, you're taking like a shield uh, for somebody. The shield for mm. Brandon Staley, his entire Chargers tenure has been yeah. Justin Herbert taking all the fire. And finally, hallelujah, we get to see Brandon Staley hallelujah. with a stretch with a backup quarterback. And this is really where you get to test his mettle and see what he's made of as a head coach. I mean, it's as bad as you could have thought. Like you said, dude, a defensive head coach who got praised for leading the Rams out to a Super Bowl, and he gets boat raced by a team that put up exactly zero points the week previous to playing them. It's awesome. It's poetic. Sayonara, you stink, man. Brandon Staley, yeah. I cannot believe that it took this long. But again, man, it just... It paints your picture of Dean Spanos, the Chargers culture. It took the worst beatdown I've ever seen for Dean Spanos to finally go, hey, you know what? Maybe this isn't our guy. Mm -hmm. It's the most Chargers shit ever, man. Uh, does Brandon Staley ever get a job anywhere again, Carson? I think he works in football again. I think it's a long while probably before he's head coach again. And he's young, man. Like, there's going to be a long window, but it is pretty remarkable when you think about how he was credited with, like, revolutionizing modern NFL defense with all of the too high safety looks with the softer boxes, but they were able to effectively take away the explosive passing game from some great offenses, and now it's like, boy... They were 28th in points per game allowed under Brandon Staley, the Chargers. And by the way, they're 29th in points per game allowed overall with Justin Herbert. So the side of the ball that he's responsible for, he's been a disaster situationally in terms of picking when to go and not uh, clock management. I mean, there's been so many things that Staley has dude, been rightfully dude, maligned for. The one that we have to mention, or I think I saw somebody bring this up, is just like all three of his final losses in each season were as painful as a Chargers loss could go. 63-21 to 21 against the Raiders. Mm -hmm. You have the blown... Was that the biggest blown lead in playoff? Was that bigger than the Oilers? Um, Wait, no, no, no. Or no, I don't know if that was bigger than Oilers-Bills. No, it wasn't. The Vikings game in the regular season was true, the largest. True, true. But that was the second largest playoff St deficit. Yeah. Massive blown playoff lead. And my favorite of all is when they're playing the Raiders. A field goal or excuse me, a tie football game sends both of these teams into the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Staley opts to take a timeout when the Raiders have the ball. The Raiders have already decided. We're going to end it in a tie. We're both going to go to the playoffs. It's just going to be a truce, solidarity. Staley calls a timeout, and the Raiders boot the field goal at the end of the game to knock the Chargers out of the playoffs. He gifted them a playoff berth. I yeah. mean, how much worse can a guy be? Yeah. No, no worse. And uh, it's a shame that he won't get to add any more horrible, horrible win or horrible, horrible losses to his resume. But this really was the best, man. By far the best game script of Brandon Staley's career. But the defense has been awful. 
the investment in players personnel has been awful. I think Quentin Johnson this year in the first round versus guys like Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers, that was one of the final straws. And that's Telesco too, right? But obviously these guys are going out together. And if you think about a lot of the theoretically key dudes who they've invested yeah. in, guys who are old, guys who are often injured, the J.C. Jackson thing was obviously a disaster. None of their key defensive additions have had the impact intended, except for Khalil Mack, shout out to him, but hasn't been nearly enough to save this team defense overall. So this was a long time coming, to say the least, and big for Justin Herbert. <laughs> well, I don't know if we can say that. I mean, it's big for him because he's finally got the shackles freed off of him. But it is still the Chargers. The Chargers are going to be headed. What's what's yeah. really bad about this is the Chargers are heading into a massive rebuild around Herbert. I mean, all those players, a lot of the players that you're alluding to that they've paid big money to, I mm -hmm. think they're going to cut and trade in the offseason. I don't think Khalil Mack's a Charger next year. I wonder if Joey Bosa is a Charger next year. Like, it may, you know, we're talking about getting Herbert a lot of help. It may literally just be Herbert and Allen. And then, I mean, they just basically overhaul everybody else. So, is Bill Belichick your preferred option for the Chargers, or are they just your preferred fit for him if he's going to go somewhere else? That's a good question. Because, um, let me tell you what I'm thinking. Obviously, they have Cowan already. What's a bummer is that they don't really get a fair trial run with this slightly new-look coaching staff because, obviously, it's East and Stick. And I don't know if they have plans to ultimately give Kellen the job for real. It doesn't necessarily seem like they do. Like, he's not promoted to interim head coach. And there's just been hesitancy around the league to give him that big job. So we'll see. It kind of feels like you either have to promote him or maybe sever that relationship entirely. But I don't think the Bills are going to fire Sean McDermott. And if you're looking at hot offensive coordinators on the market, Ben Johnson... The most attractive thing you can have is a franchise quarterback, and Justin Herbert. It's not going to be the best team to come available, maybe, but they will certainly have the best quarterback, and that is going to be very, very intriguing. I was going to ask, I mean, do you think there's a chance they maybe make a run at Ken Dorsey as well? <laughs> I'm not, no, excuse me, not, uh, damn, man, not Ken Dorsey, Joe, Joe Brady, yeah. I think the Bills are going to keep Joe Brady. I don't know if he's going to go all the way up to head coach from – QB coach in seven weeks or whatever, maybe if he really kills it down the stretch. But I think there will be other guys who maybe have a larger body of work as play callers who will become available. But it's going to be interesting. You pray that they get it right. But regardless, this has at least illuminated how much Justin Herbert has done to clean up for this absolute shit show and make them a 500 football team. And what an accomplishment that is. Not everybody gets to walk out there and throw to A.J. Brown and DeMonte Smith or Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. And that's not taking shots at those guys. That's just the truth. Well, no, no, no. It's taking a step. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. You know what I mean? Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, two legends of the game. Nobody's ever done it like Milky Mike, bro. Thousand yards, 10 straight seasons. Unbelievable. But good luck for Herbert <laughs> in a, a, a sad way for the team. He's top five, though. Okay. Any other thoughts from this week, Logan, before we wrap things up? Uh, I'm all good, buddy. All right. All right. Well, that'll do it for us then. 
Happy holiday season to you all. If you want to check out some Nerd Sesh merch, maybe as a gift, that's at thevolume.com. Logan's got the hat, got the flag behind him. We've got shirts, we've got hoodies as well. All of that at thevolume.com and at the link in our bio uh, across social media, our link tree, where you can also join our Discord if you want to talk football, basketball, just be part of our community. You can, of course, always listen to the podcast across audio platforms and you can watch every show with video on our YouTube page, the Nerd Sesh YouTube. And you can follow us across social, TikTok and Instagram at uh, Nerd Sesh and Twitter at Nerd underscore Sesh. And with that, as always, appreciate you guys. I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com slash iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary.